we're looking this year at incarnating Christ. Um, Jesus being formed in our lives so that when people look at us, they can see Jesus. And that's an amazing challenge, but that is what God calls us to. This series we've been looking at is about caring for each other, the power to care for each other. And we're actually looking at the last of the series today, which is respect. Ah, sorry. Respect. I beg your pardon. (laughs) I'm fighting with the uh, technological equipment. Respect versus disrespect. Respect is to, if you respect someone, you hold them in high regard. It means you pay attention to what they say. You hear them and you try to understand, you know, what, what is the meaning of the person, of, of what they're saying. So you're trying to understand the other person. It's to show consideration. It's both attitude and action. It's to have an attitude of admiration. So you hold these people in high regard and then you demonstrate that in your actions. So we've got this dual thing going, going through, attitude and actions, respect. Disrespect, it's to go against, it's to, it's going against, it's like headbutting, it's, I'm up against you. Contempt, contempt, violence is very much a part of disrespect. Violence, we see more and more of that in our culture today. Being domineering and self-centered. And disrespect, you often encounter this underlying attitude of, I'm right and you are wrong. So instead of listening and hearing and trying to understand, it's like, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And that's a sad thing to come up against. Every healthy relationship has respect as one of the undergirding things. It's a very, very important part of a healthy relationship. And Jesus actually was praying to the Father and he said, Father, I pray on behalf of all those that you will give to me, that they may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. So here's this picture of the oneness that comes as there's this respect and this honouring of each other. And so we're called to respect as Christians. And there's, it goes through every relationship, respecting God, respecting our parents, respecting our leaders, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over you as men who must give an account. So Mark today gives an account to God for how he cares and watches over us. So in return, do we listen to Mark when he's, when he's preaching? If Mark has to speak into our lives, it can be painful when somebody brings correction. If Mark is speaking into our lives, do we listen and do we hear and do we say, now Mark is saying this, so therefore I will attempt to implement this. I will seek God about this and see whether I can put this into my life. This is part of respect that God requires of us. Respecting the elderly. This is a beautiful one from Leviticus. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Revere your God. That's not part of our culture today, but it's part of God's culture. That's rather nice. I actually had a couple of um, Muslim people in my house. David and I had done a service for them, and they wanted to come and say thank you. And they came in in their full Muslim regalia, and they sat with us. 
and they were honouring us because we had done something for them and also because we were older, like to them we are very old. And they're sitting there and every time I opened my mouth to speak, they shut their mouths and they gave me full attention. I was thinking, wow, I could get used to this. <laughs> so that is respect. We respect our spouse, we respect one, one another and also respecting ourselves. We can't really give respect to other people unless there's a respect for ourselves. And I want to look at that today. There was a young Jewish boy called Joseph. Joseph is actually a type of Christ. And a type of Christ means that it's like God gave us a picture before Jesus came to walk on the earth of what Jesus was actually going to be like. And Joseph was one of these people that God gives a picture through his life. And because you and I are being called to show forth Jesus, there's going to be something important in the life of Joseph for us. And I had a million overheads for this and I ditched them because I couldn't get my speech to match my overheads. But Joseph was 17 years old. He was a Jewish boy. He's the youngest in a family of 11. He was favoured by his father, which is not a good position to be in. So his 11 older brothers actually really hated Joseph. And then God gave Joseph a couple of dreams, a dream about sheaves that were bowing down to him and the sun, moon and the stars that were bowing down to Joseph, bowing down to him. And he spoke to his brothers and his father about this, which caused his brothers to hate him even more. But the fact is, these dreams had come from God, and God was actually going to raise this young man up, this young man of 17, who was quite spoilt in lots of ways, and God wanted to raise him up to a position where he was going to hold great responsibility in the purpose of God. And God looked at this young man, and God had to make him able to carry the load. God had to equip him for the position of responsibility. So what does, what does God do? He didn't just take this 17-year-old inexperienced man and, and plonk him into the position of responsibility. No, God actually stirred his brothers up. And his brothers were full of hatred because Joseph told them about these dreams. And they started saying, we're going to murder him. You know, we're going to kill him. We, and they plotted how they would do it. But God did not want Joseph to be murdered. So some slave traders came along and the plan changed a bit. And what they did was the brothers sold Joseph to the slave traders. They took his coat, they ripped it, put blood on it, and took it back to, to the father and said, Joseph got torn to pieces by a fierce animal. He is dead. So there was mourning in the household and the brothers went on and Joseph's gone. So here's this young man. He's torn out of his familiar situation. He's ripped away from the family that he knew. And he's a Jewish boy, and now the slave traders take him to Egypt. Joseph doesn't know, but God is actually beginning to position him. As well as working in his life, he's positioning him. And God takes Joseph, or the slave traders take Joseph, to the house of a man called Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guards. He was an official in Pharaoh's court. So he's a man with responsibility. And so Potiphar buys Joseph as a slave, and Joseph is now in Potiphar's household. A 17-year-old boy ripped out of the bosom of his family in a totally foreign environment, 
And God had given him dreams of the greatness that was coming to him. And he's here as a slave. Now, Joseph has a choice. What's he going to do? He can sit there and say, oh, woe is me. God has given me a hard time. God ought not to treat me like this. And I'm going to be passive aggressive and just nothing, do nothing. But that's not what Joseph did. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. And it says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And Joseph, he fixed his eyes on God and he said, I'm going for this. And he got stuck in to the work at Potiphar's household. And he moved up the ranks until he was second in that household. Pharaoh gave him control over everything in his household. So here's this young man. He honored God. And the Bible actually says that God increased. His blessing was on the household of Pharaoh because Jacob was there. Joseph was there. So that was a challenge. God took this young man and he gave him a challenge. And he says, what will you do with the challenge, Joseph? What will you do? And Joseph, he rose to the challenge and God brought him through. But that wasn't the end of the story because God's not finished with Joseph yet. He's not ready for the weight of responsibility that's coming. Do you ever get the feeling that you're being hit with one thing after another? Well, Joseph's about to get this feeling. Because what happened was, here he is, he's got this position of responsibility. He's doing well. He's really come through. He's got over the slave thing. He's still a slave, but he's, he's responsible. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife was eyeing Joseph off. And he's a strong, good-looking young man. He's obviously, you know, he's responsible. He's someone she can look up to. So Potiphar's wife decides... I want to take this young man to bed. I, I want to have, to be blunt, she decided she was going to have sex with Joseph. So she goes after Joseph, not just once, but she goes after him again and again and again and again. And she's really putting the hard word on him. So Joseph has got a choice. What is he going to do? He's a young man. What's he going to do? And Joseph made two important statements to, Potiphar, to Potiphar's wife. He said to her, Potiphar has given to me a position of trust and responsibility in his household. I will not abuse that. And he said, and I will not sin against the God of heaven and earth, the God who made me. So Joseph planted his feet and he just said, no, no, and no to Potiphar's wife. No. Well, you know what they say about a woman scorned, don't you? Potiphar's wife is very angry because she couldn't get away with Joseph who's standing his ground for God. So what happens is she goes to her husband and she lies to her husband. She says, Joseph tried to have sex with me. He's tried to rape me. He's, he's, he's gone after me. And Potiphar believes his wife because most men, you would tend to believe your wife. So Potiphar is very, very angry because he looks at it and he says, I have given responsibility to Joseph and he abused it. He abused it. And so Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison. So the situation deteriorating, isn't it? So here's Joseph. He's falsely accused and he's also in prison. What is he going to do? He could have sat down and had a pity party. Oh, you made me a slave after giving me a dream of greatness and I did the right thing here. 
But it, and, and now look what you've done. God put me in prison and I've been falsely accused. He could have had a pity party. But you know what happened? Joseph goes into this prison and he gets his eyes fixed on God and he said, God and I are coming through. God and I, God is going to cause me to be an overcomer here. And so he fixes his eyes on God. He puts his hand to the task in prison and God brings him up through the prison to a position of responsibility. So Joseph, he hasn't wavered. This issue of false accusation, it's a big issue in our lives. Joseph was falsely accused and he is a type of Christ. Jesus was falsely accused and we are God's servants. Jesus said, what they do to the master, they'll do to the servant. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. Being falsely accused is actually a very normal part of the Christian life. It is enormously painful. Dave and I have been through this. It's painful and that pain can continue through a period of time. But the question is, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to respect God and keep your eye on God? Or are you going to have a pity party and disrespect God? It's a question of respect. Are you going to respect God? when the accusations come. Now, basically, with false accusation, you have to get over it and move on or the thing will take you down and take you out. How do you win? If you've been falsely accused, how do you come through that? Realistically, there's pain in this thing. How do you come through it? And there are three things that I think are key. The first one is to get closer to God. However close you are to God, before the pain erupts, the trouble erupts, get closer because God is the one who's going to cause you to overcome. And we've talked about staying in God's word. We're working on uh, ways of doing that with WordWise. Stay in God's word. God's word will show you what the principles are. And then the third one I put down is you've got to talk it over with a mature Christian, someone who's trustworthy. If If you're having trouble struggling with the concepts, Go to someone you can trust and talk to them. I do this at times. You see, we all live in this little world and we understand things within the realm that we've lived in. That's our experience. It's our understanding of the word of God. And we understand that. But when you're in a body, the body of Christ, it's like there's this big, big group of people. And Liz's experience is probably different to mine. Um, Ray's experience is different to mine. Uh, your experience is different to mine. Young people, your language and your experience can be different to mine. And so I'm stuck in this little thing here where I understand this, but over there in the body of Christ, there's this whole group of people. And if I am linked to the body of Christ, then I need to begin to hear them, to hear their perspective. And sometimes if I'm really stuck on something, I'll email Mark or ring Mark and I give, I tell him the lot, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is where I'm coming from. Blah, 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 blah. And what's more, I feel this and I think this. And the scripture says this, but right now I'm feeling pretty mad about things. And Mark will come back to me and he'll share a different perspective. He'll share his perspective. And I sort of think, oh, okay. So the world is actually a bigger place than I realized. God is bigger then I realized, oh, there's another way of looking at this. And so you grow. But sometimes there's a challenge in that because when you're part, a functioning part of the body of Christ, what I find is we operate within this little realm. This is our world. We operate here. And when you're in the body of Christ, people challenge you. 
I talk to you and you challenge me. And you challenge me to move outside the area I'm comfortable with. And I kind of have a go and I go, oh, and then I'm stuck where I'm comfortable and will I, won't I? It's risky. And then you have a go and you think, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go with this. I'm going to flow with the body in this. And that can be challenging, but it's also very good for us. I um, have been working with a gentleman for a couple of years and he's very much in a little box and I tried to get him to see outside his box because see when you get in a little box what you start to think is I'm right the way I'm seeing things is right and everybody else they're wrong they're wrong they're wrong they're wrong but it's not like that in the body of Christ it's not even like that in a marriage you know when we marry we marry opposites and we think differently we do things differently and with this friend of mine, I haven't been able to get him to maybe work out that there's a bigger world, but it's exciting being part of a bigger world. It's exciting talking with young people and trying to understand their perspective. I'm, I'm 50 years older than some of the people here that I like to share with, and I think, well, get over it, Cheryl. Try and hear what, what others are saying. Now, we're talking about false accusations. You've got people who are being falsely accused, but then you've also got the people who are making the accusations. Sometimes we're the one who makes the accusation. And the devil's supposed to be the accuser, but sometimes we accuse one another. And what does God say if you're accusing your brother or your sister? You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. What say you've got into this accusation mode? What does God say about that? And God says, if you want to show Jesus forth in your life, if you want to show Jesus, in Isaiah 58, verse 9 to 10, it says, if you stop accusing others, so we've got to stop it. If you stop the nasty talk or the malicious talk, and then there's always there's a negative and a positive in God, so you stop these things. And then if you invest yourselves in the lives of the needy, so you're going out of yourself and giving to others, and then God says, then your light will rise in the darkness. And if there's ever a day when our light needs to rise in the darkness, it's today. And that's what God says. He says he wants our light to rise in the darkness. And often if you're stuck in this accusing mode, there's some underlying thing you need to come to grips with. And that's why it can be good to talk to someone and toss it around with someone who understands. And then you've got to repent, ask forgiveness and stop it. Do something positive, reaching out to others. Respecting ourselves. At the heart of respecting ourselves is the fact that some things are meant to be private. It's, this is a pri uh, concept we're losing um, touch with a bit today, this whole concept of privacy. There are some things that are not for other people to see or to know about. Seclusion is part of um, being private. You can be alone and no one's watching. You're not going to be disturbed. You haven't got a, a phone sort of on you. Click, 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 click. It's not public. It's personal. And this concept of privacy, it's an important part of a relationship with God because there needs to be times in our lives when we go aside with God and we can sit with God, the mighty God who made the heavens and the earth, and we look around at his creation and we respect God and we respect ourselves and we move aside from the busyness and from this 
inroad, this onrushing thing. I, um, you have to forgive me, but I am getting on a bit. And sometimes there's a story that Han Christian Andersen told. It's a children's story, and it's about an emperor. And there was a couple of con men who came into this emperor, and they said, we're going to make money out of this guy. So they did a scam on him, and they said, we're going to make you these beautiful clothes. And if you can't see the clothes, it's because you're stupid or you're not fit for your position. So there's the con, you see. And, of course, nobody can see the clothes, but they're not going to say because that would mean they're stupid or unfit for their position. So the emperor goes out in public, and he's walking down, he's walking down, he's naked, stark naked. And oh, look at the emperor's clothes, they're so beautiful. And a little boy pipes up and he says, the emperor's got no clothes on. And the emperor brushes it aside because what can you do? You've got to keep going. But sometimes when I go out in the streets these days, I think to myself, there's a few emperors walking around here because there's a few people who could do with some more clothes on. Some of the things that you see out, not, not here, not here. Out on the streets, <laughs> down at Woodridge. <laughs> Here you just all look beautiful. But I've actually been thinking about this because in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, Paul said to Timothy, I want women to be modestly dressed with decency and with propriety. And I looked at that word modest. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Modest. But it actually comes from the Greek word Cosmios, cosmios. And do you know what cosmios means? It means orderly and becoming. What a beautiful word, becoming. It becomes you, it suits you. In a multi-generational church and a multicultural church, we can't really stand up here and say, you all ought to look like this in your clothing. That would be crazy because God loves variety. But orderly and becoming. Every, is Jenny Reed here? Every time I see Jenny, Jenny... She's a beautiful woman, and she always looks beautiful. Whenever I see Jenny, formal or informal, do you know what she looks like? She looks like Jenny. I look at her and I think, Jenny, that's becoming to Jenny because it's like Jenny. And I really like that. Years ago, I was a young Christian. I had had some things happen that hurt me very deeply, and I was angry. I had this fierce anger inside of me. I wanted to make... I wanted to make somebody pay. Someone was going to pay for my hurt. And I've learned a bit since then. And I was thinking, I started working out, what can I do? Oh, I can go to a nightclub. I can leave the church. I am backslide. And I knew enough to know, you walk down those roads, Cheryl, there's no, no, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily going to get back right with God. So, okay, discount those. But I was still angry. I wanted to make someone pay. So I went, I went to my wardrobe. And I got out some of my dresses and I got out my scissors and my sewing machine. And I hacked all my dresses off like really short. This was going back a few years. And I sliced the, the top down low. I got the sewing machine. I sewed it in so it really like skin tight. And then I went to church. And talk about disrespectful. It's like I was going, oh, take that, you lot. Someone's going to pay. And it took me months to figure out. I wasn't really hurting anyone except myself. And it really hit me. My relationship with God was being damaged by the anger that I was feeling. The anger was fuming this, fueling this behavior. And my relationship with God was what was suffering. I couldn't get close to God. 
And I realized I need to repent of the anger. I need to deal with some of these things. And I found when I started dealing with that, I looked at my wardrobe and I thought, okay, <laughs> I tossed it in the bin and went and got myself some clothes that were more becoming. <laughs> because often the question, the question with dress, really, it's not exactly what we're going to wear, but when you chose those clothes, were you being respectful? Were you being respectful to yourself? Were you respecting the fact that there are some things that are private? Were you being young people? Were you being respectful to your parents who see from a different point of view to you, a point of view that maybe has more understanding? Were you being respectful to other people in the assembly, to the men, if you're a lady? So were you being respectful to God? It's hard attitude. What is the hard attitude, the attitude of the heart? Because if you're out there seeking to be respectful and not like what I did when I was being disrespectful, if you're seeking to be respectful, there is amazing room for variety as we, we can be ourselves. We can be coming, becoming and orderly. We can be ourselves in the presence of God and in the presence of one another because respect respectfulness is the underlying issue, respectfulness. Okay. I wanted to look today at respecting our sexuality. For young people, respecting the amazing man or woman that God may give to you as a life partner. And in the world today, the whole issue of sexuality is an area that's lost a great deal of privacy. It's, it's an area that's just, it's out there in so many ways. One of the scriptures I love that talks about God's standards is Proverbs 5 verse 19. And it says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And there's some principles in that that I love. The element of rejoicing, the whole concept that marriage and our expression of our sexuality, sexual activity, these things are pleasurable. They're reason for rejoicing. But there's also contained in that proverb the concept of commitment. Commitment. Within marriage, there is commitment. You're committed to God and you're committed to each other. And problems arise in any area of life when there is relationship. Problems arise if that's our sexual experience of our sexuality or just interacting together in a marriage. You know, sometimes... I probably shouldn't say it quite like this, but it's what comes to mind. Sometimes you, your husband is the, he's, he's so wonderful. You know, you just think, you're the most wonderful man on earth, and I'm so glad you belong to me. And other times you think, you're just so different to me. I don't even understand you. I don't even understand the way you think. And sometimes it's almost like you want to bless him with a brick. It's like, you, it, they're just, just, what do you do? What do you do with the difference? And you see, in marriage... You can work it through. <laughs> so marriage is actually, if you put God first in a marriage, it's a safe environment. <laughs> Proverbs 7, verse 7 to 27. I just took out some excerpts. I'll read this to you. I noticed a young man who lacked understanding. He was walking along in the direction of the house of a prostitute. So this young man, he's not wise. He's, he's actually going looking for trouble. He's going right out where the, where the prostitutes have their houses, like King's Cross, and says, then the prostitute comes out to meet him. She's got persuasive words, 
and she seduces him with her smooth talk. And then the Bible says all at once, all at once he gives in. But mind you, he was down there in her street looking for trouble. He's gone out looking for trouble. And then he gives in. And the Bible says, little knowing it will cost him his life. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her house is a highway to the grave. Sex outside of marriage, which is what we're talking about here, it's as old as the hills. It's always been around. Going back a few years, it was probably something more you had to go looking for. If a father wanted to disrespect his wife and his children, he had a pile of playboys and he'd oogle the playboys. And then they'd be put under the bed or in the shed and the kids would find them. So the father disrespected his wife and children. But today's world, you really don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. It can be as quick as an email into your, e-box, into your inbox. It can be something that comes. You can accept a friend on Facebook, a friend of a friend or someone that you fancy a bit. You accept them as a friend. And next thing you know, they're asking you to do something improper. We've got this whole world of selfies out there. And I won't go into the details today, but this new friend says to you, send me a selfie. Now, what do you do? Do you look at that and you say two things? This man is disrespecting God. He's asking me to give something outside of marriage that belongs within the realm of marriage. And not only that, he's disrespecting me. He's not treating me with respect. Do you just delete it? Do you go and talk to your mum and your dad? What do you do with these things? Because they're there. They're there for our young men and for our young women. It's, it's instant. This whole social media thing, it's instant. And these are pressures that our young people have to deal with. When I was, one of the things I've noticed, you often read these things in the papers these days and some person will say, basically what I've recounted to you, they'll say, oh yeah, this fellow came along and he wanted on the internet and he asked for this and they send a revealing indiscreet photo. And then these people will say, it went public, it went viral. And I listen to that and I think, well, what did you expect? What did you expect? If you disregard the laws of God and you disrespect yourself and you put it out there, the private thing out there, and it goes public, what did you expect? You see, we need to safeguard ourselves. But the other thing is, you see, we keep ourselves pure because God requires that of us. But we are also God's ambassadors. We are living in a world of indiscreet, indiscriminate, very visual sexuality. And that there's a lot of young people out there whose mums and whose dads, they're not game to talk to them about these issues. They don't know the words that they should say. I struggled with this. I thought, who am I to talk about these things? What words do you use? And we've got young people out there as young as maybe 12. And who's talking to them? Their mum and dad doesn't, not game to tackle the subject, so they go to the internet. What's the norm? They go to the internet and they're looking for the norm on the internet. And it's vulgar because it's outside of the laws of God. It's outside of what God says. And do you know what, young people? God calls us to be overcomers. I hear this talk about these young people are victims. And I think that is the greatest load of nonsense. I don't care how dark the darkness is, God shines his light. And I don't care how dark the darkness is, 
God gives to you and I the ability to stand up and say no. God gives us the ability to press the delete button or to press the unfriend button or to go and talk to one of your leaders in the church and say, I'm struggling with this. God calls us to overcome and you be sure of that. God is calling you to overcome. And these people who are caught up in these things that are traps to them, they're part of our mission field. You know, they need mums and dads. They need big brothers and big sisters who know what the standard of God is and who'll stand for it. And that's our mission field. Young people, that's your mission field. And you stand up with God and you make a stand for God, then you are being the light of Jesus in the midst of a generation that needs it. And you and I, there are no victims here. There are men and women who are called to overcome. There are young people like Joseph. God faced Joseph with challenge after challenge after challenge. And you know what Joseph did? Every time he kept his eye on God and he said, I'm coming through. He put the principles of God that he knew from the word of God. He put them into operation. He said, I'm coming through. And in the end, God raised Joseph to a position of authority in in Egypt that was very, very important in the period of great drought. And then God brought Joseph's family back to him. And the Bible says he was able to reassure them and to speak kindly to them. And that's the heart of respect that was in Joseph because he responded to the dealings of God. God doesn't bring any of us to a position of authority overnight. It's something we grow into. There's the dealings of God and we respond to God. Okay. So respect. Respect is within marriage. There's commitment. There's working it out. Disrespect, that has consequences. Abuse, abandonment, violence, loss of self-esteem. A lot of young people are facing these issues and they're our mission field. We need to know who we are in God. Young people, as much as older people, we need to know who we are in God and take our stand. What does the word of God say? And this, I could not resist this. No sex before marriage. That's a challenge, isn't it? Challenge accepted. I got that from a friend this week. Challenge accepted. How many of you can say a life of purity? Whether you're a young person or an old person, I'm going to have a life of purity with God. I accept the challenge and I'm going to be part of God's light in the generation that we live in. I've spoken of some hard things today. I had actually, I found some of the things I spoke of today challenging. And I said to God, why can't somebody else speak of these things? But I felt God said, there are folks here today. There are folks here today and you're struggling with these issues. And God is sending to you a really clear word that he wants you to fix your focus on him, and to put these things right and to walk with him. 